Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wool on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get over the last decade or so, there's obviously been quite a bit of a uh, tech clash, as they call it. And one of the things that I keep trying to stress to people is that while it's quite likely that there are some negative impacts of technology, and we should be very careful uh, to figure out which of those things are real, uh, and we should be uh, you know, hesitant to just assume things without evidence, uh, especially as the current level of panic has very clear echoes to past moral panics around everything from comic books to pinball to Dungeons and Dragons to rock and roll. Uh, there were even moral panics about chess, novels, and even the waltz, the dance, and music in the 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, a common theme among all of those is that the kids these days now have access to something new, and it is somehow warping their brains in dangerous ways or making them depressed or falling prey to dark forces or whatever it might be. And again, that's not to say that there's never any negative effect at all, but any such report should require some amount of actual evidence to back it up. And as I've said many times before, including on another recent podcast, the reality is probably that some of social media is just shedding a light or shining a light on things that are out there in society that maybe didn't have a light shining on them before. Some of social media is perhaps causing some problems. Uh, for some people, and some of social media is actually helping some people. And the trick is to understanding which parts are what and sort of digging a little bit deeper into the data to understand what is real rather than assuming that it is a universally problematic sort of thing. For a while now, one of the few people who I followed who has consistently put out fascinating, detailed, and incredibly thorough research on these questions is Professor Andrew Shabilsky uh, of the Oxford Internet Institute. Uh, we've reported on many of his studies, almost all of which debunk the various myths around the supposed horrible things that technology is doing. Uh, his latest is a massive research project looking at the impact of Facebook uh, on the psychology of users. The research involved nearly a million people and 72 different countries, so clearly is getting beyond the um, limits that we see in some studies uh, that just focus on a small group uh, or local college students, which is an, often a target of, of university research. Uh, and so it's a, a absolutely fascinating study and worth talking about it. So here to talk about it is Professor Andrew Shabelsky. So uh, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on, Mike. So uh, let's start by just talking about this study. What was it that you were trying to um, figure out when you started working on it? Well, I think the basic idea here is that um, when you talk about something like the balance of social media being good or bad and, and a concept like well-being or, or mental health, 
Um, it, it's fundamentally quite, quite a serious question, quite a serious topic, uh, quite a bit more serious maybe than many of the things that, that people like me research. Uh, and, um, you know, this study, like the others that we, we do, we, we actually try to take the stakes very seriously, which means that we kind of apply research that's transparent, that's reproducible, uh, and, and kind of seeks out uh, and articulates what's special about the data, where the data comes from, and, and how we use it. And so, you know, this study, like others that we did, really was a, kind of an exercise or a proof of concept um, that if you had an idea, something like, you know, how technology, how a new technology like social media spreads across the entirety of the globe, um, how might you kind of describe that and, and its a potential correlation with a concept like well-being or, or mental health? And so, you know, t- taking a few pretty serious things on board. Uh, more than 95% of the research on social media and, and well-being uh, happens in a handful of countries in the United States, the UK, uh, uh, and other parts of North America. And the fact that we know nothing about 90% of the mental health and well-being uh, of young people all around the world, kind of more broadly outside of social media uh, use, uh, you know, we really wanted to, to do a good study. We wanted to canvas an idea and test an idea um, kind of as, as technology has advanced from 2008 until 2019, right up until the pandemic, um, did the spread of Facebook, you know, the number of active daily and monthly users of Facebook, um, was that associated with different forms of well-being uh, and mental health over time? And that basically meant going out and, and getting the best data we could on well-being, again, from, from those million plus people and from some health databases uh, that other researchers use in, in the medical sciences and, and in epidemiology, and kind of marrying that to data uh, uh, that we went to different tech firms with ha- hat in hand uh, uh, and asked them, you know, do, do they have the goods? Um, because, you know, as you say, uh, people have been crowing, especially in the last five years, about the alleged harms of social media. You know, these are people who've never studied mental health. These are people who've never actually studied technology, uh, but, but they have platforms uh, and they're saying things that are quite extreme and things that are out of step with what serious mental health researchers say. Um, and so we conducted this study specifically to kind of steel man that argument, uh, uh, to, to, to ask the question, you know, what happens when, when a society gets more tech saturated? Um, and so it was a political thing and then, you know, dealing with lots of industry lawyers, it was a technical thing, doing some math, uh, and, and, and it eventually, uh, after three years ended in a paper. And so do you want to describe a little bit more about, you know what 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 the data is that you used and how you how you made these comparisons maybe you know the the paper is there it's uh you know it's open access it's not one of these locked up behind a paywall uh we had a post about it on tech dirt and and we included the paper so people could re- could read the whole thing and there is some you know gnarly math <laughs> in there um but you know, just as, at a higher level, do you want to just sort of describe how you went about, you know, what is the research saying effectively? Yeah. So, I mean, so conceptually what, what happens is there's kind of like three components. Uh, there's time, uh, tech data, and well-being data. Um, the, the tech data comes directly from Meta. Uh, it's basically uh, uh, 12 years of data from 72 different countries. Uh, and these were countries that the researchers at, at Meta felt was kind of strong enough to share outside of the organization. So this was daily active users and monthly active users across 12 years in 72 different countries from both the global north 
and what you could call the global south. Um, and, and it was kind of bifurcated by age and, and also bifurcated by gender. So we knew, say, in Uruguay in 2012, how many 15 to 34-year-old uh, uh, women uh, were using Facebook or, or Messenger on a daily basis. Um, so that's the first component, the kind of tech, tech component. Uh, the second component was, was what you could call the, the well-being and the mental health data. Uh, we got that from, from Gallup, who actually conducts uh, something called the Gallup World Poll. Uh, it kind of taps into actually eight forms of well-being. Uh, we looked at four of them, and we have another paper that looks at the others. It's just kind of how you can only jam so much math into a paper. Uh, and, and we also used um, kind of an epidemiological data set to kind of double check, to cross our T's and dot our I's, uh, something called the Global Burden of Diseases uh, uh, study. And this is kind of a, a kind of an estimate of the prevalence of, of anxiety, uh, depression, uh, uh, and uh, deaths by self-harm. Uh, and it's a bit less reliable than, than the, uh, much less reliable <laughs> than the Gallup data. Um, and, and we kind of married those two things together so that we were able to know how happy was that young, young woman in Uruguay in 2012, uh, you know, the typical woman, not an individual, and how many of them were logging on or using Facebook or Messenger in the same year. So this is about, this is like from 30,000 feet. This is not individuals. And right. we have individual data in other projects and we kind of grind through this we we place brick on top of brick instead of just going on Substack and shilling some, you know, product for the chattering masses on YC or whatever. But um, <laughs> sorry, I love YC. There's no there's a, that is conflicts of interest disclosure. Uh, it's one of my favorite procrastination activities yeah. is, is going on the forums. But but, but I think but, e um, everybody knows that that occasionally the comments there can go a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, and and when my ad blocker kind of like blocks the comments, it takes me a few days to notice after an update. Uh, my mental health goes up. Uh, but no, and then uh, uh, finally the third component is is time. Mm -hmm. that, that, that your listeners should, should take into effect because typically what's been happening, it happens in Substack, it happens on Twitter or whatever, is that uh, uh, people, people commit a cardinal sin of data analysis, which is they, they kind of like draw a, a, a they draw a, a line on a plot of years that go and they say 2011 was the magic year when, right. when uh, uh, the mental health of young people went to shit. Right. And, and, and the reason why they say that is because that's the year that, you know, Zuck or someone forked over X billion dollars to buy Instagram. And then like something changed because there was a cash transfer right. or securities or whatever. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and sometimes it's 2012. Sometimes it's like 2009 because that's when iPhones became popular with young people. Sometimes it's something about TikTok and 15 and people just draw these lines wherever they're convenient. They're not, it's not very scientific, but it's the type of stuff that goes ironically, goes viral on social media. And so the kind of key thing, the, the, the third, the first components, the tech data, the second components, the well-being and mental health data. And the third component is actually time and like time and geography, because say South Korea, their rate of adopting certain technologies happens to actually lead some countries in the West. And it's actually pretty informative if as a leading indicator on tech, does, does something tank about their well-being right. that we should know about? And other countries like Germany are quite advanced. They have very different health infrastructure, but they, they, they'll uptake you know, something like Facebook you know, a year or two, a couple of years later, because they had their own domestic platforms at the same time. Right. And so that kind of gives you a perspective that isn't just drawing a line for, for a Google Doc or whatever. It, it actually lets you do something like test. Is there a magic year? 
for our country. Uh, uh, and and is this, does this follow a linear function or a nonlinear function right. or these other things? And so that's kind of what we were up to in this piece of work, um, asking the basic question, as societies become more saturated in Facebook and Messenger, do they become less happy? Or do they become obviously more anxious or something like that? And so, and, and what did the data reveal? What did you find? I mean, uh, you know how the, you can say absence of evidence or <laughs> evidence of absence. Uh, this is for us like a pretty important kind of descriptive, not predictive, right. not prescriptive, you know, don't, don't lock up your TikTok in Utah or whatever. <laughs> um, this is, or, or not, not lock it up. doesn't really say <laughs> right. anything about that either. That's about, that's about values, not science, but um, it, it, it's pretty convincing evidence that there isn't some evidence of a massive decline effect, you know, in, 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 in the whole, as countries became more Facebook saturated across these 12 years, people tended to show higher level, you know, these groups that, that became more saturated showed higher levels of well-being uh, uh, on, on the whole. Um, but, you know, when we adjusted for things, we looked at the fact that, you know, countries also say become richer in that same time. Right. So we let those things vary and then we lock them down. Uh, you know, the positive correlations were statistically significant because we're dealing with a lot of data. But I mean, one, you know, a 10% increase in Facebook penetration is is worth a 10th of 1% of a change in life satisfaction. So, you know, you, you'd have to make a society increase its, you know, year on year <laughs> Facebook adoption by like 1500%. Right. Um, everybody before should you have, notice everybody something. should have 10 Facebook accounts. <laughs> yeah, you, you would. And there are, there are in fact countries where the usage rate of Facebook suspiciously goes above a hundred percent. But, but that's not for, you know, uh, regularized on, on the, the population, but yeah, you, you'd have to kind of, spread Facebook to multiple dimensions uh, <laughs> before the, the amount would matter. Um, and, and yeah, so it, this was an example, at least with this data across these years of evidence for absence right. uh, in terms of an, a, a, a correlation. And it's not causal, but this right. is kind of like, again, if you think of science like it's a set of Lego, uh, uh, this is a brick that's pretty far down the stack. Um, but it's certainly the type of thing that you put, put, put out there before you go on the Atlantic and you say that smartphones have destroyed a generation or you go to the Surgeon General and you say, you know, uh, uh, we got to do something about social media because it's it's wrecking teenage girls. Right. And it's the type of thing before you make a, 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 a want to make a law, you know, banning an app uh, <laughs> uh, from a jurisdiction um, because the science the science isn't actionable in the way that we might think or, or the way that we might hope. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, just just to to drive home that point, I mean, basically, the thinking would be that if social media, or I guess if we want to limit it just to, to this particular research, if Facebook itself were causing mental health problems around the world, then in theory you would see that in your data, and and you didn't is 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 the summary. Yeah, insofar as Facebook or Messenger is even one th the same thing. Sure in different cultures at different times. I mean, the product and the platform changed a hell of a lot yes. between 2008 and 2019. And I'm sure, you know, the way people, you know, used it changed too. We can see in the data that for, you know, um, I don't want to date you, but for those of us who are over the age of 35, <laughs> uh, Facebook, uh, I'll include myself uh, solidly in that demographic. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of a, you know, it went from like nearly 0% of 35 year olds using Facebook and, in, in um, 
2008 to, you know, half of the populations above 35 using it, just kind of a gradual increase. Right. Um, and, and younger people adopted it way quicker, but then it planed off uh, uh, right. in the early 2010s. Um, and so on that basis, you can see there's different patterns of use, um, but who the hell knows when it comes to kind of how people were engaging when, in, in different kind of aspects of the platform, um, because there were just dramatic shifts in, in even the architecture of those places. Yeah. Was there, um, in looking through the data, was there anything, was there anything specific that stood out? You know, were there anything, was there anything as you were going through it that, that, um, caught your attention as as this particular situation is interesting or different or worth exploring more. Well, I mean, I, 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 it was more when we were kind of negotiating for the data mm. or when we were trying to understand, you know, what type of data was there. Um, I think it's really important for you and your listeners to understand that, like, tech companies aren't omniscient. Right. Um, they have like very very different abilities to see inside of their own organizations or to kind of even answer fundamental questions about who is doing what, when. Um, so we might think of daily active users or monthly active users as a very simple statistic. It should be something you report to the Federal Trade Commission or to some EU regulator or something. Um, but actually it's really hard to do. Uh, it's it's a tough problem from a data quality perspective. The the way that something like that gets calculated changes over time, yeah. and that person may no longer work for an organization. And so it it, it surprised me past the legal aspects, past, past the optics, past past all institutional gatekeepers. That it's actually a whole hell of a lot of work for an organization like Facebook or Meta now to to go back and and actually try to answer the question of how many fifteen to thirty four year olds were women. We're, we're using the platform in August of 2012 uh, in, in Uruguay. And, um, and, and, you know, I found it very unsatisfying that they also couldn't tell me how many hours or what features were right. they using. Um, but this is just the type of thing, like if you don't know to collect data uh, at the time and you don't have like a archival process, um, you know, that goes by the wayside. And, and we find that this is true also in games companies. Yep. And, and, and other large companies whose name doesn't rhyme with Amazon, um, that, that, that often data practices are, are, you know, only as good as the project manager still being in the organization. Um, so I'd say that that was the biggest thing that was the shock, because for me, I see some of our best students and some of the best students uh, kind of come out of data science programs and, and come out of the kind of my world of computational psychology and psychiatry. Uh, I see them work for companies like literally work for Meta. Um, so I know that they're strangling academia in terms of talent. Uh, so I just assumed that they would like, it would be less of a lift. Right. Um, but, but, but that assumption's patently wrong. Uh, and, and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. One, one of the, this is, it's now from a few years ago, but one of the the most popular posts we had on Tech Dirt, I don't even remember how far back now, five or six years ago, w- was basically about how nobody really knows anything about statistics and data in terms of, of online usage and that so much of it is like fake or misleading um, that, you know, and, and not, not for nefarious reasons or not for problematic reasons, but it's actually much more difficult to, to keep track of that stuff or understand it. And, you know, people change how they count things. And there are, you know, there are 
some incentive question incentive structures in there in terms of you know what you're reporting you know as we learned during the uh, Elon Twitter takeover fight you know Twitter had sort of changed what you know they went from from uh you know what god what they switched it to monetizable daily active users from daily active users because they well who knows why but partly because they could they could make up what that number was effectively um and so you see how the different companies approach it in different ways and how that that number changes over time because i think i think twitter only adopted that mdao uh computation in like 2018 i think mm-hmm. um and i you know there are reasons why like maybe that does make sense and you can understand it but there's also like we they needed a number that they could give to Wall Street that sort of continued yeah. to look like it was going upward, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, and I mean, and even before you get to gaming things, because obviously, whenever kind of a metric becomes you know a, a, a target, it's it's screwed up, you know, going back to the beginning of number systems. Right. But like, it, it it's it's a very strange thing that that a kind of across across this sector where we say that we have engineers, software engineers. You, you actually don't have what you have in other parts of the science sciences and, and applied sciences, which are like ISO standards. Like every <laughs> every platform that I've ever worked with, and, and this includes the games companies in particular, they, they don't have a standard ISO for like time. <laughs> right. So like, like time on platform is calculated fundamentally differently masked behind a thousand NDAs, which I'm forgetting and perjuring <laughs> myself, not perjuring, but indem- indemnifying some legal word that means the university will pay a million pounds to, to buy me out of my gross negligence. But like they all, without, without saying specific names, um, they all count time differently. Yeah. And this is like fundamentally so weird to me because time might not even be a useful metric right. for, for me as a scientist or for, you know, someone as a parent who's like some organization says half an hour of TikTok and whatever, like TikTok's half an hour isn't the same as Facebook's, isn't the same as Ubisoft's. And like, it, it's, it's bananas to me that like a company can say, oh, we've rolled out this new e-safety tool that limits under 18s to one hour a day. And I'm like, number one, who, who the hell thinks it's time? Number two, how the hell do you calculate time? Right. Number three, what the hell do you think time is going to help? Like, like, where's your, where's your RCT? And, and because it, the thing is like, if you don't have a reason to collect data and you don't have a standard to adhere to, you have this class of people who call themselves engineers, but they would be like, in a weird way, laughed out of any other part of the engineering sciences. Because if you're a civil engineer, if you're an aeronautical engineer, if you're a food engineer, if you're a pharmaceuticals engineer, you actually have all of these standards right. that your work is meant to comply to. And so, you know, and, and you have guidelines, but that doesn't exist in this sector. Um, and so going in thinking like, oh, these companies have the raw material of science. These companies have the, obviously they can print so much money with their infinite whatever. <laughs> um, surely they can fix it if we create some design standard um, is, is just like, fundamentally mismatching reality. And yeah. so you said, you know, we did fancy stats. That's great. Right. But I mean, it, the amount of like progress you would make by just like sitting down and listening to people and, and how these engineers think about these things, it would be revelatory, basic, qualitative, ethnographic research is worth 10,000 
nonsense articles in the Atlantic uh, in, in, in terms of like, in terms of like letting anyone know what the heck should be done about anything. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so I would say that that would be the thing uh, uh, to return to your question. That would be like the type of thing that kind of reinforced our surprise about what it means to work with scientists who are paid 10 X what we are. <laughs> right. Um, do you have any concern? I, I saw somebody bring this up in, in response to the, to the latest research that in some sense, because this, you know, the thing that impressed me was that, you know, you're, you're encompassing such a large data set covering again, 72 countries, approximately a million people. Um, do you have any concern that in that, because you have such like, you know, a huge aggregate amount of statistics that it somehow hides uh, some of the some of the finer points. And this is something that you know sometimes comes up when when you have such a large data set that it's sort of you know there are interesting things in there that are canceled out by each other. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to your response on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this has to do with kind of what people's implicit mental models are about like what are the harms of an online space and what are the negative experiences that we've had. And so it's like, it's less of a problem of our research being done again at 30,000 feet and our research being about a huge time scale. It, 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 that research question is just mismatched mm -hmm. for someone's intuitive sense about what they don't like about Twitter <laughs> right now or, or what they don't like about a video game that maybe has in-app purchases right. or something, right? We, we project those anxieties onto a study and they're like, oh, this study doesn't address my particular bugbear or grievance, whatever. It's too abstract. It doesn't match onto real life. Uh, I, I think I'd push back on that because that's it's just misspecified. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think the person to blame is is still people like me, because it in my in my view, um, I actually think that like researchers have pissed away the last 20 years conducting research that isn't transparent, right. that isn't robust, that doesn't ask hard questions. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty clear, like you look at UN statistics, uh, the UNICEF statistics, their research office, you know, like, like sex trafficking of young people and, and kind of the economy around that and, and the involvement of, of, of tech platforms, again, it may just mirror society and the, the ugliness of, of, of society. Like that's very clearly harmful. Right. It, it plays a, a clear causal part of something um, but it's immediately a tough question. It's immediately something you have to take super seriously. And and we would have to allocate actual resources to to, to caring about young people in, in the developing world to address it. Right. And and that's too painful and too complicated for many people to do. And so, you know, it, it's true. There, there are agendas that are really good agendas uh, that need to be looked into on a micro level. Um, but it's just, it's really hard to, you know, implicate any single piece of research in being diagnostic of that. So yeah, I'd say hundred percent. If, if your listeners want to, if someone in, in your audience wants to plow 15 million to 25 million into identifying actual harms, uh, there is a research program there that would be awesome. Um, but, but, but yeah, this, this stuff is done pro bono. So we did our best. <laughs> um, one question I just, and, and I, I know you're very transparent about this, but just just for our audience, so that yeah. they're aware of it, um, you you mentioned obviously that that 
you went sort of hat in hand to to beg Meta for the data that was necessary to do this research, um, but you also make it clear that Meta did not fund the research and you know was completely separate from it, other than giving you the data. But I just, you know, do you have any sort of comment on that, just so that people are aware of that? Because I, I, you know, I wrote about this and I and I wrote and I mentioned that, and people were yelling at me still that this was clearly Meta funded research. So. <laughs> So I just, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like I, I, this is, uh, um, I think this speaks to a much deeper question. So I'll answer the, the, the question directly, which is, uh, n- no, <laughs> the M- M- Meta's, Meta's contribution to this was essential. Right. And they weren't the only company that we went to. We went to all of the relevant companies that you might care about, uh, uh, in this question. And we were shot down. Some companies had NDAs that I consider, wildly unethical huh. and unsignable. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I went back to one firm uh, that literally requested for the next five years, if a representative asks me questions about their organization, I have to tell them that a <laughs> congressperson or whatever. And I was like, I have a problem with Article 5. And I, I do have a lawyer and a judge in my family. So like, I do actually try to read these things. Right. Uh, and it was a non-negotiable point. And I'm like, all oh, right, we're not going to be involved with blah, blah, blah company. Um, so so I, I can say the research would be literally impossible uh, uh, without you know them putting a couple of really high-skilled people on this for many months. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but no, the, the research was funded by two grants, one from a private foundation called the Ho Family Foundation. Um, and they're extremely hands-off. Uh, I can do essentially whatever I want. And every once in a while, they just want to hear about what I'm up to. Uh, it's much more complicated than that, but that's the <laughs> essential uh, equation there. I make a fancy PDF every couple months. Uh, and then uh, the other is the UK taxpayer uh, through something called uh, uh, the United Kingdom's Research and Innovation Research Council in the ESRC. Um, so yeah, 100% not. But I understand why people would think that research like this is funded by tech. And, and, and part of the problem here is actually a fundamental lack of transparency in this fairly high stakes tech adjacent sector. Um, people do not disclose their interests responsibly and critically like they might in, say, the pharmaceutical in- industry, where you also have different types of collaborations. And there are many prominent researchers who have been hauled up uh, uh, and, and partially held to account, and they've changed their websites to edit out the consulting sections after this has been brought up. Um, and you can go on the internet way back machine to see <laughs> this thing was published on this date. This was deleted on another date. And you're like, oh, they don't know how the internet archive works. <laughs> um, haha. Um, but it, 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 it is a real problem. Um, and so on my website, and actually since I was director of research for my institute at Oxford, all of my colleagues, um, they're, they're meant to um, every year update their consideration of interests, not conflicts of interest, mm-hmm. considerations of inter- uh, interests, because those can be quite different um, between organizations. But, but if you'll permit me, I, I, I want to tell a little bit of a story about this, yeah. which is that back in, in, in 2021, uh, when Francis was, uh, for sorry, Francis Hagen, Francis, this is how we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, when, when, when Francis was talking to, to the Wall Street Journal uh, in the summer of 21, um, I, I was contacted by Wall Street Journal researchers, uh, uh, some of the authors of the pieces. Um, and, I was, and, and they came right out of the gate. We've been told you take Facebook money. Uh-huh. 
And uh, we would like to know about what you think about internal Facebook research. And I was like, wow, um, hello, <laughs> unnamed person. Uh, uh, in my CC is our head of you know, administration and finance. Uh, they will tell you about not only every penny I've taken, but also all of my colleagues, if you'd so determine. Um, but this story sounds really interesting. Um, so, so maybe you don't just ad hominem me, right. uh, get the answer before. And there is a little line that says, Andy doesn't think he takes money from f- Facebook. I'm like, well, <laughs> <sighs> Duncan, Duncan, this guy, sorry, this, inside baseball. But like, the, I saw the reply. I was like, yeah, no, Andy hasn't. I'm like, yes, that's true. I, you, I don't, that's true also. Um, but, but I wrote back like, well, this, this data sounds really interesting. 20,000 documents you say. Um, hey, I happen to be a nominal expert in this question of how the hell technology impacts mental health. Hey, can I see the documents? Because I actually think they'd be really interesting to study. Yeah. Because, you know, like I've seen some of these presentations done by Facebook. I read their stupid, I read their press <laughs> releases about stuff. And like, I'm kind of curious about like, well, what, what happens here? And they were like, uh, we are trying to protect the whistleblower. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I get that. <laughs> but can I see the documents? Because I'm not like going to like mess you up on this. And they were like, no. And then the first article started coming out. So I read the article, right. the, the things that they shared. Right on. I'm like, hey, can I see the documents? And they're like, no. <laughs> and then I kept asking uh, uh, for, I, uh, hold on, let me add the math. I've been asking nonstop. Uh, uh, every couple months from 2021 uh, until last summer. Right. Can I see the documents now? Because no one's really writing articles about this. Right. And I think they'd be interested. And it's it's really funny that it's harder to get like data from journalists and whistleblowers yeah. than it is to prize it away from Mark Zuckerberg's crew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you wouldn't think that. And so, so I would just say like the skepticism makes sense. People, people are ready to, to think the worst. And one way you can take that is like, 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 like feeling, getting your feelings hurt. And, and the other thing could be is like, hey, it's really interesting that someone's first reaction is come at me, bro. Uh, and, and like that speaks to the importance and the seriousness that, that we should have here. Because because that data is actually super interesting, yeah. And and we're lo- we're looking at this data now, and it would be really nice if we had been able to look at it back in 2021. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's informative stuff, but, but yeah, I, I think the people in the comments section and your listeners, it's just really important to always be asking this question, maybe ask it a bit more charitably, right. maybe say that we need, re, you know, re, reforms in, in the ethics of tech research, because for, for all the nods to needing ethical design principles, nobody like freaking bothers to look at, you know, fields that have had catastrophes like chemistry and right. aerospace and, and, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals where like ethical breaches have killed people. Yeah. Um, and, and we can just borrow those rules and, and hold ourselves to account. And I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there was like when the, when the Facebook papers, I guess, as people refer to them or Facebook files came out, there, there was this effort by, uh, Gizmodo, where they were saying they were going to release the documents, but they had to go through and redact a bunch of stuff. And they released some of them, but the reporters who were working on it, I think, are no longer at Gizmodo. So I think I think that project just died. 
which is which is too yeah. bad. I mean, and uh, yeah, it, it is. It fell off a cliff, and and that's part of like what we write up, which is like there was a lot of interest for two months, yeah, and then it disappeared, and then everyone has kind of just assumed, right? You, you they, they went on and they asked, you know. I don't know how many people. I want to say it's forty-eight teenage, teenage, young teenage females, right. teen, teenage girls. They're like, "How does Instagram make you feel?" Half of them say, "Awesome." Some percentage of them say, "Yeah, I don't know," and a third of them say, "Ah, it makes me using Instagram makes me feel bad." Yeah, and you're like, "Okay, hmm, that's useless information." Right. You could, you'd get the same, you get the same information if you ask somebody about French fries. Right. You know, half of people would say, "You know, like, how do you feel about mashed potatoes?" Right. Half say, "Yeah." <laughs> So, you know, 10% say, meh, and 33% say, you know, Ugh, they make me gassy. Uh, and then the, the follow-up line is the big potato. Right. Big potato is ruining people's mood and they know it. And they keep selling us tater tots. And it, that's like, that's a super weird thing yeah. for like the Surgeon General and like, you know, Paul, you know, Paul Graham and everyone to be jumping on yeah. because th- that's like, it's, it's garbage, yeah. right? And, 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 and it's just—it's so strange, and it tells me that there's there's an appetite, yeah, and, and there's a cynicism, uh, and, and I just hope that people would kind of pivot from cynicism to critical thinking, yeah, no. um, and that's why we do the work we do, yeah. I mean, it was interesting because like it did it did get Meta to release some of the underlying data themselves. Um, and and I I've written a bunch of times now about how like if you look at the Again, there were there were a lot of files, but sort of where those headlines came from, as you were discussing, like the research was kind of interesting, but yes, like a very, very small sample size and very general where you're just sort of asking people how do they feel about things. And and even then, I think it was really misleadingly reported because like, you know, that that particular line of research, they asked, um, you know, uh, both uh you know, it was mostly teenagers, I think, boys and girls. Yeah. Um, they asked them how they felt on like 12 different categories of content. And in every single one, for, for the boys, it was all 12, um, either like neutral or positive effects greatly outweighed the negative effects. And with teenage girls, it was an 11 out of the 12 was either neutral or greatly outweighed the negative effects. There was only one category and only for teenage girls where the negative effects just barely, it was like 34% to like 30, 30% to 30% or whatever, you know, um, just barely outweighed it. And like the, and so they had this internal slide within Facebook that said like the one area where we have, you know, a potential issue is with body image for, teenage girls and that became the headline whereas like the interesting thing thing to me was like 23 out of the 24 areas they studied showed nothing and in the one area they they showed some slight potential negative like it appeared that meta was actually taking it seriously the reason they had that title on the slide was basically like hey guys like here's one area we need to pay attention to because we're seeing this 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 problem in the data which struck me as like this is actually I thought a good sign like this is this is a sign of the company taking it seriously whereas all of the media reporting was like oh you know Facebook knew that they they were causing body images with with teenage girls which yeah. is not quite what the study said and yeah. 
again, totally taken out of context. So that one, that one. Well, that, and that, but yeah, and there's, there's three things there. The first is that, you know, your reading of that is, is the sane reading. Right. Your, your reading of that is the one that, that, that a, a quantitative sociology 101 student, a quantitative psychology, uh, a psychologist, uh, uh, what have you, that is the essay question that is at the end of Psych, psych 101 <laughs> right. about inferential thinking uh, uh, in basic research design. And you would fail if you were writing for the Wall Street Journal <laughs> or for Gizmodo or whoever, if you wrote that headline. Right. And if you take this seriously as the Surgeon General, you actually fail if that's your interpretation. Right. Um, the, the, the second thing to think about it is, yes, uh, you're broadly correct that they're taking it seriously. You would hope that a company with a market cap like <laughs> yes. Meta slash Facebook would take it seriously enough that that's not where they would stop right. their research. Yes, um, because you know that's kind of like level zero. Right, and then you look back and you're like, hey, I have like a trillion dollars, so maybe <laughs> I should dig into this right. uh, a bit. Uh, and, and then the third thing is, you, you'll notice that if, if you watched closely, and I, I did my best to watch closely on this. Um, the, you know, the team at Meta, they, they released, I think, two slide decks of, of five a, as things were coming out. Right. And then they stopped releasing them yeah. as the coverage got particularly negative. And, and one might infer from that that they actually did not learn a positive lesson. They might have learned the lesson that more transparency is bad because it doesn't matter if you're honest people are going to read what you were doing in a dishonest way. Yeah. And 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 so you know, taking those three things together, number 1, some people who should know better would fail a psych 101 statistical inference class. Uh, uh, number 2, we should expect better from, you know, a legion of 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 committed computational social scientists. And and uh, uh, you know, number 3 that um, uh, actually transparency probably collapsed under the pressure uh, uh, of, of uh, uh, bad faith readings yeah. of being transparent, um, you know, it, it actually puts us in a, in a pretty, pretty shit position when it comes to actually doing something or knowing something uh, about how any platform uh, would have that. And I, I would just say, I, I have looked at research, internal research at other tech firms and, and at large games companies. Um, and, and I can't think of one where, where if you read if you read internal research uncharitably, like this research is read, I can't think of one that if there was a public negative narrative about it, uh, it th th they wouldn't look as terrible yeah. or, or worse. Um, and and yeah, so it just it's just it's the whole thing strikes me as a as it's all a Rorschach. Uh, it, it really tells us what, what we feel or what we think about these companies because people have clearly turned off their brains. Yeah, I mean it. it it is pretty incredible. And, and the fear is that not only now will the companies be less transparent, but they might even just do less research because they're, they're not, you know, they're punished for doing the research in the first place. Um, yeah. and that, that, I would, I, you know, it, I, I would ask you to go on LinkedIn and look at the looking for work people, uh, uh, open to, open to being hired people on LinkedIn and look at how many of them were former fe Facebook and meta researchers who, who've been let go in the last 10 months. Yeah. Um, I think that's a pretty clear indication of the brain drain. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely problematic in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it, it is kind of incredible. There's um, There was just, um, I, I haven't written about this yet, but I'm going to soon. I just heard this debate over 
the research on on you know social media and the the impact on children um on the the uh open to debate podcast which i don't know if you've you've ever heard of it it, it used to be called intelligence squared which the, which you know, there's a started in the UK, I believed. I think may have started yeah. at Oxford, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a fan at some point of the earlier incarnations. I haven't, again, the pandemic, young kids have yeah. kind of blacked out on, on the last four years. Yeah, um, but the, there, so there was a, a UK version, and they they created a US version, and they renamed it. You know, in the last year or so, called to open to debate, and they had this debate on on. Um, you know, it was between two people. They used to do it two and two, and this was just like yeah. one versus one. Um, and it was really incredible, um, so incredible that I, I want to write it up, but I, I I like have to go through it over and over again to like pick out all the pieces. But there was one person who's I'm, I'm not going to name names at this point, but you know, just you know, there was a, a, a it seemed like a very good, competent researcher who was just like, here's what the data actually says. Like, let's not go crazy here, here, like the data does not show any causal, direct causal impact. And we should be very thoughtful and careful about what we do. Um, you know, I think a, a position that you probably agree with. Uh, and then the person on the other side was basically like, I don't care what your data says. You're wrong. I know it's true. And it was just this very, very strange debate where where the person on the 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 side of like social media is causing harm to to teens just was flat out saying like whatever data you you show that goes against my belief has to be wrong because I say so. And yeah. and just this commitment to this belief was so strong. And to me, I mean, like I came into certainly skeptical of that person's. Um, argument but but still i was amazed at how how open they were to just saying like no i know this is true and so any data that goes against my thing my, my beliefs i'm not going to listen to yeah i mean i'm not surprised by that um but i mean i i have to think that this is information and it's information for for you and for me and for your listeners when when people get listened to uh and, and taken seriously when all they're doing is kind of acting like polemicists yeah uh, and, and they're not they're not arguing on the basis of observations or arguing for better observations. It just tells you something about the nature of, of where we're at as a society and our relationship to these these tech companies. And I think it's like it for me, I interpreted it as as kind of like um, narrowing uh-huh. a conversation or narrowing a debate to like a set of solutions that are either politically or ideologically consistent with whatever the person's idea was. Right. Often these are like bans or age gates or facial recognition or some, some like nightmarish right. Orwellian <laughs> magic solution. Like in the UK, they wanted to create a, they, they may still create like a age verification database for hardcore porn sites. Right. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be great. I can definitely see that not being an issue. <laughs> um, but, but it, it, um, but I, I guess that's like the, the problem for me is that like, about it besides it being informational is that it's really narrowing. Yeah. It doesn't allow us to think expansively. It doesn't allow us to, to find alignment on, on kind of constructive, you know, solutions. Like, and I'll give you an example of this, which is like a few months ago, actually at the beginning of 2023 at the end of 2022, uh, like uh, there was a really interesting like study that was published by some folks out at MIT. It was put online. It was basically about the Facebook rollout on different college campuses mm-hmm. and mental health. Right. 
And it was interesting to me because it's kind of like novel data. It's some fancy maths, whatever. And the basic conclusion is, again, it's one of these things where there's like 11 outcomes, 12 outcomes. Right. And like on a couple of them, it looks bad for Facebook, basically. Like when college campuses, when it got rolled out to community colleges, econometric analysis, difference in differences, more people reported symptoms of distress uh, uh, you know, when, when Facebook rolled out their college. But it's like one of these things where we all, we have these really strong prior beliefs right. where it doesn't actually matter how strong, it doesn't even matter how strong the methods are. Like philosophically, the study's just broken. Right. You know, I, if, if you if you think of like what Corey, Dr. Rowe would say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced, you know, with Corey's insidification yeah. idea which is that, you know, and, and, I, and I hope to God your listeners know about yeah, this, yeah. so I'm not going to repeat Cor- it. Corey was but, on the um, podcast about a month ago talking about it. So jeez. Oh, <laughs> if, if I trade my kingdom for a hundred Corys. Um, but, but if, uh, sorry, I, I just I spent, I spent three hours with the man a, a decade ago and it's just, I, I'm still glowing. Yeah. But it, it um, but, but I mean like, okay, so why would 2004 Facebook have any negative impact on anyone. Right. It literally was an exciting new thing. People were connecting, getting laid, <laughs> uh, you know, what have you. This was the this was the first stage. We had a new way of of hanging out and and doing whatever the equivalent of Netflixing and chill was. Probably watching an well, probably watching Cowboy Bebop on DVD to speak autobiograph to speak autobiographically of that Halcyon era in my fourth year of uni. And um it was all Bebop, none of this other stuff. Like but uh, as as user 46 of the Facebook at the University of Rochester uh, uh, in 2004, uh, I can't imagine a reason why I would turn up to my university's mental health services and report my life satisfaction going into a critically clinical level of depression. Right. It doesn't actually make any sense at all because it's like a tiny treatment. Right. Like imagine if you were studying something that wasn't mental health. Imagine you were studying obesity. Right. Something as serious as mental health or diabetes or intelligence, right? If you introduced high fructose corn syrup or lead, <laughs> or, you know, th- things that we know cause or, 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 or some form of like dehydrogenated, hydrogenated fat, right? Things that we know impact obesity or intelligence or um, uh, blood sugar, right? right? And we were doing like blood tests on everyone in these community colleges. We would not expect lead or high fructose corn syrup or uh, hydrogenated oils to actually show up in the data, even though these are things we know mess people up. Like intelligence and lead is like a super strong right. thing. It's, it's up there with alcohol in terms of being bad for people on multiple levels of analysis. And so I wouldn't expect rolling out lead on campuses to show a negative effect, right? It wouldn't show up in this type of data. So, so why would I expect it of the most exciting de-shittified phase of Facebook's rollout? It just, it doesn't make sense on logical grounds. It doesn't make sense on experiential grounds. It, 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 it just makes sense if you kind of vaguely don't like Facebook <laughs> and you really love econometric analysis 
And then everyone goes on Twitter and says, this nails it. This is a, the first causal evidence of blah, blah, blah. And no, it, it's like really convincing causal evidence that people's priors are miscalibrated yeah. because it doesn't actually make any, it doesn't make any fucking sense if you think about it. Like, and, and, and that's the problem. When, when you give in to polemicists, when you give in to people who have quick frick solutions or doomerism around technology, the problem isn't that you have a negative opinion. Right. The problem is that you turn off your brain and, and you don't actually ask yourself some of these questions about like, well, huh, is this quick fix? Could this quick fix actually possibly work? Does this person actually have the essential ingredients? Do they understand enough to, 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 to foster an intervention that would actually help a young person? Right. And, and it's clearly not true. I mean, like there's an idea that the amount of time that young people play video games makes you addicted to them. Right. And a colleague of mine just looked at Unity d- data from, uh-huh. you know, Tens, tens of t- tens of billions of play sessions, and China turned off the internet for video game players in 2019, below the age of 18. Right. And there was no change at all <laughs> in the amount of hours that people spent playing video games. And the same thing happened in South Korea for a decade. Right. They turned off the internet for for young people under the age of 16 between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. And and the average South Korean teenager had no change in their grades <laughs> and they had about a minute and 30 seconds more of sleep. <laughs> and so it's like, what are you, what are you giving up? One right. of the things is opportunity cost, And the other thing is you pat yourself on the back and you move on. Right. And then when the next thing is invented, you know, you said at the beginning, you know, like silent films right. and comic <laughs> right. books and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> the problem is these people are going to keep printing money. Yeah. They're going to keep selling our data. They're not going to keep good records on our data. Yeah. They're going to shape our societies in ways that we never get to see the data that actually tells us it's worth a damn that tells us anything. And a handful of people are going to get rich, scaring the hell out of us. <laughs> and and like it, it's such a weird thing looking at it like a parent and someone on a British academic pay scale uh, to see the same playbook getting run. And and it's just it just means so many people in your audience are, are getting played. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel like that's that that feels like a really good point to end on, but I actually have a couple more questions. <laughs> I, no, don't worry about it, man. You can, you can edit the, you, you can edit this down to be just saying, "Yep, nope, bad idea, good idea." No, it's this uh, is no, great. This is what this is, is fantastic. But I did I did want to cover two more things quickly, and then then we'll sure. wrap it up because this is going long. But this is fascinating. Um, so so one is you've mentioned a couple times the the search in general, uh, and, and in the U.S. we had this search in general's report. Um, and I wrote about that because again, I, I think like that was portrayed c- completely inaccurately in the media, which is there was this report and, and the media said basically, you know, the surgeon general saying that social media is dangerous for teens and something needs to be done. And if you read the actual report, that's not quite what it says. What it says is that there is no causal evidence of anything, but just in case, because we're afraid there might be we should put in place restrictions. And I have problems with that, the just in case part, you know, because you've just admitted that there is no causal evidence and we've had all this time and all this data at this point that there, you know, if there was some, some real problem, we should be able to see the evidence. I thought it was good that the the Surgeon General's report at least admitted all of that, that there was no, no evidence that showed any causal harm. And they admitted also good that there is evidence of of real benefits for a lot of uh, a lot of young people to be able to access information and access communities and 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 find all sorts of helpful stuff. Um, 
And yet the media reporting completely spun it as here's the Surgeon General saying social media is bad for teens. Um, and we're seeing that show up. We're seeing it show up among politicians who are talking about it in the, the misleading way. I've seen it in courtrooms where judges are accepting it as that the Surgeon General has said the social media is bad. I mean, so what's what's your take on that? Or is that like, is there... Is there anything that can be done? <laughs> like, or is this just like what we have to go through every time? Uh, I'll note for your listeners a conflict of interest here. I, I happen to have an NDA that doesn't ah. allow me to disclose my role in in helping with that report. Okay. But I'll say the parts I helped the parts I helped with are good, <laughs> um, in my opinion. Um, but but no, uh, they're awesome. Page fifteen is awesome. <laughs> um, but it, it, in any case, no. I mean, like it. I think to a certain to a certain extent, yeah, you're right that history repeats itself, and and it's just Sisyphusian. And every time people who haven't turned off their brains uh, uh, see a new tech, we're going to be pushing a boulder up a hill. But um, I don't know. Like I, I think this is just more evidence that people are ready to write up the things that are consistent with their prior beliefs. Right. Uh, and I think that it it indicates that. Um, people want to move the conversation to the, I have a better uh, intervention idea than you do. Right. Um, which, which falls somewhat on a, a political lines that align with the, uh, to be bold, the American culture war. Right. Uh, I live in England, but I've been here for 15 years, but I'm, you can tell by my accent, I quite clearly grew up in the U S uh, so I see some of the hallmarks and they look particularly weird when they show up here. Um, with a, you know, Southern, Southern twang. And, um, but, but I, uh, I don't know, like it, it, for me, it's, it's, it's bananas because it's kind of like, it's argument by analogy. It's argument by metaphor. Right. It's like, there might be a secret ingredient in social media, which we won't define that is harming young people. Right. And so we will apply the precautionary principle an EU idea that the manufacturers not the users of a product are responsible for potential harms and for testing. Right. And and I would say like yes, that is a good idea when you have something like paint or ho-hos <laughs> right. or salad which have an ingredient list and are things that are undergirded by chemistry and biochemistry and nutrition. Well, I probably shouldn't say nutrition because it's a pretty strong negative example here, but by, by some kind of underlying science where like any given ho-ho is basically the same. Um, but it doesn't make sense in an area where you have something like social media, right. where there is no active ingredient, there's no underlying science. Um, and so you can't really say, uh, this thing could be harmful, so we must do something about it. Right. Because you, you don't have infinite resources to intervene. Right. You, you have really finite resources to intervene. And, it, you know, one potential aspect of social media, like, again, sex trafficking, that, that, that could be like 99 bar percent. 99.9 bar percent of all the harm caused by social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And if you give even a fraction of your time over to anything else, you're literally losing children their childhoods right. because you're arguing about teenage girls feeling slightly sad on the basis of not good evidence. And you're not taking child trafficking seriously. Right. 
you know, you're not you're not enforcing something for for law enforcement. And I, I don't mean to go to the oh god, think of the children and sex aspect. It's just a really concrete example where you can read consistently horror stories in the developing world about this. Yeah. And and so I'd say that like that's the that, that for me is the weirdest thing about this: the complete lack of calibration in terms of the limited resources. And so you've got people on the right. They're like, take my blue pill, uh, take my red pill. My red pill is some paternalistic solution that involves age gates with no phones in schools, abstinence pledges to not give right. uh, uh, phones to kids until they turn 13. It's a bunch of like Cinderella uh, spinning wheel nonsense. Right. Uh, and then you got people on the left saying we need age, verif- we need age verification right. and we need design principles and, you know, teachers unions support that. And the first thing, the the approach on the right is clearly wrong. Nothing magic happens to anyone at any age. We're trying to look at evidence for that because Jesus, it might become the law of the land in some places. Um, But, but like the, the, the intervention stuff, the principle stuff is, is equally, it's just, it's, it's nonsense. It's like, what, what are ethical design principles in aerospace? What are ethical design principles in food manufacturing? They don't have those. They, they have professional accreditation. My, one of my sisters, she's a school psychologist. She has professional accreditation. She's got to keep it up. One of my other sisters is an architect. She has to take multiple exams. They can both say no to their bosses if they say, do this thing with kids or build a, a building a certain way. Use this material instead of that material. They can say no and keep their jobs. Right. You can't do that if you work for Meta. You can't do that if you work for TikTok. Like, like this is insanity. Like the, the, there are some solutions that you could adopt if you wanted to formalize these professions. But when you talk about like design principles, it's just like, no, you, you don't want ethical design principles for how much cement is in a bridge. Right. That's, that's bananas. That's not a solution. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that the thought that occurred to me as you were saying that was, was, you know, effectively like you, you can't take the lead out of, Facebook, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. there's no, there's no, there's no equivalent of that. You know, if you're talking yeah. about lead and paint, like we know that that is harmful and we know how to measure that and we know how to, how to deal with that, but th- there is no equivalent for, for, for Facebook. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and there may not even be like, right. and, or, or the thing, the heavy metal could have consistently changed over time. Right. Right. And and it could be different in something else. And but the idea is it's just taken for granted. If there's a correlation in some large data set. Right. It, it's not noise. It's not it's not how, how you so it's not that you mix the data incorrectly when you merged it. <laughs> right. and, and and Andy's been asking you for your data set for the last three years and you refuse to give it to him, even though it took him three months to merge it with <laughs> reproducible code. And you clearly have the wrong number of participants in your study and your award your your best selling two recent books on social. <laughs> media you can't get the number of participants right it's 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 not about whether or not that correlation is bullshit because it is it's it's more like wh- why would you even interpret that data that way right it doesn't that, that that doesn't make sense that's not evidence of lead right um and, and it couldn't possibly be and so so one final question on this and you know, we've talked about about all this stuff stuff and we've talked about some of the media reaction to yeah. these these other reports and sort of how they were um, you know, how, how, how they sort of float into the narrative, your research in many ways, you know, pushes back and debunks some of that narrative and got, as far as I could tell, very little press coverage. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, I think, you know, the BBC did something, but in the U S I don't think you got very much press coverage on it. Um, 
and that frustrated me. So I was kind of curious about your take on it and and how you feel your the research was received. I, I just think it's I think it's boring, and I think that the science should be boring. <laughs> like it it like it, it, it's high stakes stuff, right? Yeah. But but I I think I think the, the the mental model that you and your listeners should have is that there's basically like three types of science. There's like high stakes, high attention science. You say you find a planet, you say you find a wormhole, you say you find a new subatomic particle or <laughs> cold fusion or whatever. Uh, you, um, or sorry, superconductor. That's right, superconductor, yeah. Uh, like you, you have to put up or show up. Right. Right. And then most research is like super boring and it's, its quality level varies quite a bit, uh, but, but nobody really pays attention to it. And that's most of the social sciences and a whole bunch of the medical sciences, unfortunately. Um, but there's this Goldilocks zone where you're doing research on a topic that people like know a lot about in their own lives and they chatter about in their own lives, but nobody like really is invested in giving a shit about whether or not it's done well. Right. And so I think something like press or attention, it, it, it follows that this confirms or this disconfirms my priors. Right. Right. And, and, and that's kind of like, that's what guides that. Um, But I, I guess I would caution to say like, I don't think that my work is unique about this. Like there's actually like a lot of people in the world who are like me, who have been doing this research for five, 10, 15, 20 years. And we, we aren't really critics and we aren't really speaking against the narrative. We've been doing the same shit for like 15 years. And, um, you know, you you can read Dana Boyd's it's complicated from 2014. It's a great book. Yes. I don't think anything in it is like not currently applicable and wouldn't yes. revolutionize any person who goes and does a TED talk on social media or whatever. That person clearly they're motivated not to read, right. not to understand, right? And like it, it it's like it, it's a weird thing. Like we we have PhD, we have PhD students, former PhD students. They do a thesis. They they go to one of these hippy dippy camps that's like a unplugged camp. Uh-huh. And they write like a beautiful ethnography of like how people like in the Bay Area go to unplug. That's way more interesting. That's way more engaging. That should have that kind of stuff for me should have way better press coverage. Uh-huh. It's so much more interesting than tech exec doesn't let kid use screens. <laughs> um, and like for me, that's what the frustration is, is that there's actually good work out there that is the dominant narrative in the sciences. Right. There are six systematic reviews showing, not done by me, not done by my buddies, done by other people, showing that there's no credible association between social media and well-being right. and mental health in the last 15 years. One could very hypothetically put all citations to all six to the Surgeon General before they write their, te- their team writes the report. And then you could entirely, non-hypothetically, read the report <laughs> and not see those six systematic reviews right. included, like gold standard stuff. And so they're boring, but they're probably accurate. They're the dominant narrative among those of us who don't do drive-by shooting research. Um, And so that's the thing that I think is kind of upsetting. And that's the thing that's disappointing is that that the the dominant narrative among serious scientists is is, no, this doesn't work this way. Screen time is a pointless concept. Right. The data that we have to research things isn't good. These statistical models are garbage. Um, but that gets recast a bit. And, and, and Substack is something that's actually different about this moral panic. Somebody can just like set up a Google Doc and say, 
this is what's wrong with boys 2012 through 2023 video games lead to low sperm counts <laughs> and you, this stuff is just taken on face value there's no like right. nobody checks in because it's it's it you know people roll in ideologically uh, and I just think that that's that's just a shame on the basis of of opportunity cost to to hold these these firms these tech firms to serious account. Yeah. Um. It it, it robs us of our ability to be creative and, and to be proactive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And um, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. And again, I I could keep going, but I think we. we probably exhausted the, the, the patience of our listeners. We'll see. Hopefully they listen through the whole thing. Uh, but I, I, again, uh, I, I really appreciate, you know, for, for many years, obviously I, I've followed and I've written about your research. I think it's, it's great. I think you're doing just, you know, really serious and important work um, that I wish more people were paying attention to. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it hasn't gotten as much attention, even if it is the sort of boring, solid gold standard kind of research. Um, and so thank you for, for continuing to do it, for, for, um, you know, putting in all this work and, and, and detail and, you know, having all this useful data and publishing it in an open format. Um, and, and so thank you so much for all of that. And thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast as well. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for the kind words. We're, we're just doing our best. Excellent. And thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back next week. To grab a shovel and dig up the